0: Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to Episode 13, recorded on February 5th, 2021. I'm Alan Cross, along with Locomobi World Founder and CEO Grant Furlane. And our guest this week is Chris Rickett, who was called back to work with the City of Toronto as the Director of COVID-19 Business Mitigation and Recovery. It was his job to lead the city's economic response to the pandemic. We'll talk about how things worked, but first, though, here's Grant with this tech news. Grant says he reads tech news that nobody else reads. So let's, let's see if that's true. What have you got for us?
1: Well, I've got something that's interesting. Um, as you know, I love artificial intelligence. I love AI. And um, I don't know, there's a new uh, AI program that can analyze music frames and play the piano. Okay. So it can, from a silent piano performance, so it can watch you play a piano silently, okay, and gen- generate that same music. Wait, it watches you? Yes. So essentially what happens is it creates music that sounds like it could be played in a musical performance. Okay, I get it. So those algorithms that figure out the cues of the features in the video, right, of the frames, that generates the music, and then it does it. So it plays Bach, you can do anything. You can watch it and then just recreate the whole thing. And In theory, you can recreate a whole symphony.
0: Just by having this AI watch and listen.
1: Yeah, basically what it does is it, um, I think the program they use is called Audio, A-U-D-E-O. So using Audio, what it does is it basically, it's a virtual uh, camera watching a person's hands And then what it does from that is it, think of what it could do though, potentially. It could teach people how to play the piano. You could go online, just teach you, watch your fingers and tell you, oh, no, no, do this. Oh, push this finger here. So just think of the, the ability to mimic and watch and analyze and tell you, uh, how to play it. Well, any kind of, any kind of manual dexterity. It could
0: be, it could be surgery.
1: Yeah. Okay. And again, we just keep getting into, I don't know when it stops, Alan. We just keep getting more of these really cool things that are happening. And people on the sidelines really don't know, um, what's really going on in the back and what we call in the, um, in the back, in the backwoods, uh, of, of technology because we're too busy reading the mainstream stuff. Right. These, these things we talk about like this are things that you're just not going to see. People, one day it'll happen and people go, wow, this is cool. I can do this on mine. They don't know what's going on in the background. And so, you know, uh, that's, uh, that's one of my news. All right. Hey, wait a second. Um,
0: I've got some news for a change. Um, I'm fascinated by electric vehicles. I know you are too. Uh, and Apple seems to have done a deal with Kia to create an electric car that they will apparently be building at a, Plant in Georgia, they say that they're going to have hundred thousand vehicles roll off the line every year, and that these vehicles will begin entering the marketplace in twenty twenty four. They've invested something like three point six billion U.S. dollars in this, and you know,
1: a Kia Apple
0: car. What do you think of that?
1: Well, um, yes, I mean everyone's doing it. Okay, so Apple had to jump on the bandwagon. Um, here's my feeling on that, Alan. Whether we ever see one, we will see. Um, has Kia got the ability to produce one hundred thousand cars? Absolutely. Um, has Apple got the ability to to be an investment as far as technology goes? That I don't know. Okay, when you think of it, um, Apple really, in my mind, is not a rival to Tesla. It's a rival more to. Maybe Google, who's not building cars. Uh, maybe, um, it's a, Apple is a, a rival to Microsoft, who's not building cars. I think Apple views this as, why shouldn't there be an Apple car? There's an Apple everything else. So I am a little skeptical that, it, that how far this will go. But I believe that Apple has to do something. And why do they say it's important for Apple? Because they had the interaction data already with everybody. Mm-hmm. I understand that. But, um, you know, you know, and I know if Apple says they're going to do something, it may happen. Uh, I'll have to wait and see. Um, investing 3.6 billion is nothing to throw out the door. So I get that. Um, for, of course, for Apple, when you have $200 billion in cash, it's not a huge amount, but I'm going to wait and see on that one because there's so many guys doing this now, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. Um, you sound excited about it? Well,
0: I'm interested in it because this seems to be the way everything's going. I mean, GM said recently that they are going to ditch the internal combustion engine by 2035. Yeah. So we're, we're moving down. The, and, and the idea of moving away from fossil fuels to power all our, our vehicles, I mean, that has huge implications.
1: Well, you're right. You're right. And, and, and when you read the news, Alan... You've got Tesla, who obviously started it all. And companies like Lucid Motors, Upstart, and of course China's NEO mm-hmm. are the most well established no, the most well-established manufacturer there is in China. And Daimler, Chrysler and Volkswagen are partnering, and Volkswagen's partnering with Quantumscape. But no, but all those like Quantumscape is Bill Gates and all the big guys they're not going to make cars. They're gonna make technology for cars where Apple's gonna be, okay, there's gonna be an Apple car. No one's made that jump. No one's made the jump. There's only one that goes start to end is Tesla. Right. Neo is making electric cars. Neo is making um, battery sharing. Neo is not making all the other things Tesla do. They're just gonna do cars. They're not going to make phones. They're not Tesla. Tomorrow is not going to make a phone. Okay. Well, I'll take that back. Maybe they are. But you know what I'm saying, right? Apple's the first technology company to say, "I'm going to make a car." Like that's a very incredible thing. Well, well, actually, you know, wait, hang on. You know who else is making a car? Sony.
0: I saw a Sony car at CES a couple of years ago. The
1: coolest car in the world, but they're never going to make it. (laughs) <laughs> they talked about it even this year that we think it's a for now let's just call it a a prototype
0: maybe a cool concept
1: yeah because you know i'm gonna tell you something alan making a phone and building plants to make cars is much different and so oh, that's all i'm saying
0: you're you're gonna have to partner with somebody which is what apple's doing yeah,
1: that's what apple did yeah. so it's kia and we'll have to see what Kia can do. Now, let's not throw away Kia, they're a great company, but we'll see what happens. Um, listen, Apple's Apple, and we're all gonna follow it because it's Apple. What's your other news that you're gonna throw in this week?
0: Let's try another Apple story. Uh, their new proposed uh, virtual reality headset. Have you heard about this? Yes, I have. $3,000 US with an 8K display Advanced hand and eye tracking and something like, um, I don't know how many cameras, like eight or 10 cameras in this thing. It, uh, it could be a big step up from something like the Oculus.
1: Oh, no, I think this is huge. Um, we need this, believe it or not. I'm, I'm for this technology. And it can be used for every type of area from our personal use to business use. And so I believe Apple will make this. And I believe it will come out. And that is not a stretch at all, Alan. But $3,000, I mean, that's a lot. Oh, oh, are you kidding me? Okay, so Alan, tell me this. How much is a new, let's say a new Samsung fold? $2,098? For a phone? For a phone? Okay, fine. Um, yes, 3, 000, Google Glass, $3,000 a time to get it all done. Yes, but you know what, Alan? God, he'll be a good one. Here's a good one. And do you want the, do you want the monthly plan to go with your phone? I think this will take the, the Apple or the techos by storm and it's 3000. Now it will come down. I believe the Apple phone, uh, the Apple headphone. And it's kind of funny as Alan, you know, I just bought headphones and you know, this is, we, the, this, will, this is game changing. So I believe it will. I don't think the the price has anything to do with it at all. That's how I feel about it.
0: Chris Rickett was one of those people who worked behind the scenes to help the city of Toronto deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. He was brought back into the fold to lead the city's economic response to the pandemic, which, as you might guess, was an insanely complicated task that had to be completed as quickly as possible. His full title was Director COVID-19 Business Mitigation and Recovery. Chris spoke to us from Toronto. Well, it must be an interesting time for, for you with, with COVID and all the things that we've had to adapt to over the last year or so. Uh, what are some of the impacts that you've seen from from COVID-19 on various urban centers?
2: Yeah, and, and, and I'm talking more from my perspective here in the City of Toronto as both a resident and as someone who was uh, called back to the City of Toronto to uh, lead the response, uh, the economic response for the City of Toronto at the beginning of the pandemic. but. You know, as someone who loves living in cities and and all the things that make cities great, of course, we've seen all kinds of uh, impacts on on the way we live here. When when I kind of look at it from a, uh, you know, I think you can look at those impacts from a number of different lenses. You know, of course, you've got the public health uh, lens where you've got the illness and what that means for people, you know, everything from death and severe sickness to, uh, you know, brief or no sicknesses, And of course, you've got the various considerations and, and new norms to kind of promote the spread, you know, social distancing, wearing masks, and, and you know, of course, you know, washing your hands and all that good stuff. But, I, you know, I think when you, you know, get past the public health piece, it's, it's really looking at those, you know, uh, there's also the equity lens that really kind of focuses on here and looking at that.
0: What, what do you mean by equity lens?
2: Well, looking at, you know, the fact that, like, you know, BIPOC populations in the city have have really been the ones that have suffered the most from the pandemic. Um, You know, at one point, 83% of the reported COVID cases in Toronto were really people of color, you know, 21% of black people we're we're reporting, you know, COVID instances, you know, despite being really nine percent of the population in Toronto. And, and it's really been, you know, the, the people that have been most impacted from COVID are, are really the ones that were really struggling pre-pandemic, you know, those working in the gig economy, you know, working in retail, or, you know, and don't have the luxury to work from home. And uh, you know, whether those are working in factories to keep the the supplies going for all of us. Um and and really the the pandemic really just highlighted you know, ultimately, that uh, you know, uh, you know, that that the strains that were already there in our city, and in our urban centers, pre-pandemic. You know, uh, Toronto's got uh, 31 neighborhood improvement areas where you know these are really communities that you know have higher average than crime, have a lack of services, um, and you know, tend to uh, have a lack of economic opportunities. And when you looked at them in relation to you know where we had big COVID outbreaks. You know, they pretty much overlap pretty well, you know, in the northwest of the city and, and places in Scarborough. And so, you know, I think really what the pandemic has shown is, you know, reemphasize those challenges that we had from an equity perspective in the city. Uh, and uh, and really, you know, shown the challenges we have in those communities that we need to kind of think about. And then I, I think the other lens that I look at it at is is, is really, you know, city life you know the things that make city life great you know were immediately shut down you know and you know so live music restaurants all those things that you know makes city life enjoyable and, and really draws together those social elements where we're really shut down and, and continue to be. And, you know, when you look at Toronto, Toronto is really a, a city of a it's a bunch of small neighborhoods smashed together, right? And and the backbones of, of, of those really neighborhoods are, are, are really, you know, are our main streets. And the activity in those streets are, you know, the key to the kind of quality of life that we all enjoy here. And, and really the reason why You know, we like calling Toronto home. And, you know, when these were locked down, uh, ultimately the things that we love uh, and we enjoy about city life have disappeared. Um, And so, you know, those are the kind of impacts we've seen. As, As a white guy who can work from home, you know, the impacts on me haven't been that massive. Do I miss, you know, the things that I love about the city of, you know, going out to rock shows and, uh, and, and going out for pints with friends 100 percent? But, you know, that's from a speaking from a, a place of luxury and privilege, of course, uh, you know, really what we've seen in COVID is the disparities in our cities have been really broken open. Uh, and we really need to th- kind of think about how do we rebuild our city so that those inequities are addressed. Uh, but, of course, all the things that we love and enjoy about our cities can, can uh, be reborn as well.
0: What, what I find absolutely fascinating about COVID is that it has exposed areas of of great concern, and it's also accelerated change. Mm-hmm. And uh, these things were going to happen, or they were on the back burner for a while, but now because of COVID, everything's roaring ahead. So I get this impression that by the time this you know lifts from this this this, this pall lifts away from us, um, we're going to see different things in city life
2: yeah no i i I agree with you like i think there's there's lots of you know potential opportunities and positives if we do things right as we come out of this you know uh you know of course that equity perspective you know uh, we we we've it's been highlighted and we need to look at how we address those challenges um and look at how we create those opportunities you know i I think the other thing that it's really been for me is just re-realizing you know the things that we value in our communities right so you know rediscovering the city, you know, you know, with things closed. I've never walked so many streets in the city and visited so many different parks. Right. <laughs> that's that that's true, because if you can only exactly. get out of the house
0: to go for a walk.
2: Yeah, But see, that, that's a good thing. I
1: mean, we're all learning. It's funny because I was out today getting a claim at the police department on a little fender bender, uh, an old one. And uh, we were talking to police. Right. And we were saying, isn't it amazing? Do you think your attitudes changed about a lot of things? Because it sure has for me. Yeah, I mean, so I don't know. I think I've been more—I don't know. I'll say passive, yeah, listening and and learning and thinking. Wow, I mean, what this is nothing. What I my my problems and and trying to figure out what the bigger problems are. And I think so. Although, well, there's nothing good about COVID, guys. But if we're going to take something out of COVID. It is, everyone's learned. And I think it's because we have, for the first time ever in all of our lives, we have one common enemy.
0: Yep. Yeah. And not, not just in our cities, and our neighborhoods, but the world.
2: The world. No, we're all banded together. We have one enemy.
0: No, totally.
2: And yeah, you know, I think, you know, it's it's definitely that all togetherness has been really interesting and, and, and helping us reevaluate what's important in our lives and and in our communities, right? You know, you know, as things have quieted, you know, we've had a chance to kind of rediscover our cities and our and our and our homes. Um, but you know, it's even on like Main Street. You know, as Main Street shut down, and we can, had that that real kind of realization that you know what, we could lose Main Street, we could lo- lose those shops that are so important to our neighborhoods, and, and and I think it's helped a lot of people re-realize the importance of shopping local. Um, you know, it's the same with music and art, right? You know, the importance of these to city life and, and and you know, what makes city life so interesting, you know, with live music shutting down and, and, and the role that plays in so many people's lives and what we like to enjoy, you know, realizing that, you know, maybe uh, instead of paying for that streaming service i should be buying direct from those artists you know and looking at how i best support them during these challenging times and so you know all those things that we valued pre but took for granted pre covid i think covid has helped us re-realize um, to f- focus on the important things and uh, and to think about how we best support those things
1: yeah and
0: and the things that we take for granted like you know going going out for a meal I am so so tired of going to a fast food restaurant and eating in my car.
2: One hundred percent, right? And and going to you know, so it's it is it's supporting those restaurants, and, and it's not the same. I, I want them to be here on the other end. Uh, you get that takeout, but it's it's not the same as sitting around the the pub and and having that dish.
1: Oh no, guys! I think the the new business of me being able to sit here and order what I want. <laughs> And, and, and my, and my wife can order what she wants. And those are great <laughs> it's doing beats, for your
2: marriage. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> n- yeah. Right. Right. Right.
1: And no dishes either, but not, nothing, nothing beats meeting your friends for a nice cold beer or whatever, cold drink on the water, enjoying yourself. Nothing will ever take that away or walk into the park or whatever. And, but so I think, I'm not trying to be the positive guy on COVID. <laughs> but, but those are the things that will never go away. Mm-hmm. To pick up uh, and order something and deliver it to my house. And you know what, guys? Because I want to go for that walk. Yeah. I don't have time to go there. So um, I'm not creating the the impact isn't bad or good. or? But there are some great things in that same restaurant that I go eat at. I want to go there. But I'm also going to probably order from them as well. So it goes both ways.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the big areas, you know, uh, being a public servant uh, in COVID, you know, one of the things that it's definitely accelerated is, you know, government modernization at the end of the day. Right. Um, so, you know, my background is I, I worked at the city of Toronto for about five years and, and led Mayor Tory's uh, work in the innovation community. And, you know, I, and I was lucky to work in that space, you know, as the city is, you know, really saw some of its biggest economic growth in the tech sector and, and launched a great, you know, a number of, you know, smart city initiatives like digital Main Street and community Wi-Fi networks and the city's innovation office. But at the beginning, I had left the city uh, about a year and a half ago. And uh, so, but at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, the mayor's office reached out and said, can you come back and, and lead our economic response? And, you know, it was interesting coming back into government at the beginning of a crisis uh, as was that, you know, it was all hands on deck and, you know, government that's typically risk averse and doesn't want to, you know, is really plotting and, and careful and, and minimizing risk was just all about getting things done. I, I noticed that
0: all of a sudden government's moving at, well, for them at light speed.
1: Yeah. And you, you
2: know, know what, guys,
1: that's what I'm hoping they do going forward. Um. And uh, because, you know, as you, Chris knows what I'm like and what I do and that, but <laughs> to be able to get a government agency to really move on something innovative and new and take that big leap of faith where conservatism is the model when you're spending people's taxes and money um, is a very difficult thing to do. So Chris has been in the middle of it.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, and it's, it's all levels, right? Like at the federal level, seeing how quickly they ran out the CERB program, you know, that, that would, a program like that would typically take, you know, months, if not years to create you know, they created that in weeks and launched it and built the systems to do it. You know, at the city, when I came back, we built a call center in like 10 days. It was bonkers. It was just like, we need to be on the phone helping businesses right now. Uh, you know, Things when I used to have to file lots of forms with our IT department, it was like, no, don't fill anything out. Just do a phone call and tell me what you need and we'll start building. Um, you know, We launched a program called Shop Here, which was to basically build uh, online stores for Main Street businesses for free. And uh, we launched that. And, you know, we launched that in just about a week and a half as well. Uh, But we were able to get Google, Shopify, uh, you know, each, you know, throwing in a million dollars. I I did a, my first time I ever did a funding request via text message to Shopify. I'm like, can I get some cash? And uh, getting a text message back (laughs) saying we're in, right? And it was like, because everybody just wanted to help. And you know we launched shop here, and you know they've built a few you know over over twenty thousand online stores over the last you know uh, since uh, you know since May of last year for Main Street businesses across Canada through that program. That is pretty cool, Chris. But you know that was stuff that just came together super quick, and we got out. And you know so those types of innovations were were super great, and then you saw it here in Toronto with things like Cafe To and uh, you know taking over parking lanes and, and shutting down streets for. You you know uh, you know for biking and walking you know these types of innovations things that used to take like tons of time to get approved were just being approved and things were happening and so you know it, it's super exciting to see that i i hope that like edginess and that willingness to experiment continues um and you know cuz you know, I think the next step that's still missing is that greater collaboration between government and the private sector and residents. You know, I look at what happened in Taiwan, you know, in, in civic tech, you know, it was one of the first countries to see like, an, uh, you know, the the incidence of, of COVID, but it was detected kind of thanks to crowdsourced technologies. And, and it was like civic, the civic technologists out in the community sort of building solutions and live maps and chatbots. And uh, you know, bringing together PPE, and you know, I think that's that's a place we still need to build is that. Greater collaboration between government and the public to actually crowdsource solutions, uh, but you know I, I think we're on the right track as we 're starting to kind of rebuild that trust in government and and that recognition that ultimately you know we need government to get us through this. you know you may not agree with all the decisions I definitely don't, but ultimately we need a, a strong government with strong investments in, in in public health and and to get us through this challenge and ultimately help us rebuild so
0: do you see this momentum continuing? after COVID recedes.
2: You know, I, 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 you know, will it be at the same velocity? I I don't think so. But you know, again, we've we've opened a door, and it's hard to go back through it, right? Um, You know, is that level of experimentation going to continue? You know, I definitely see it, right? There's there's a need to modernize services. There's a recognition of that. We know services aren't going to go back uh, to how they were. We already have municipalities, you know, starting to talk about, you know, what we're just going to close city hall. We're moving everything online. People can work from home because um, we've realized you can deliver the same level of service, if not better, from home and have much more productive employees and much happier employees. Um, so, you know, I, I think we've we've definitely expedited things that we've been talking about for years. Uh, and and now there's an opportunity to, to just, to you know, to capitalize and continue. What about things like
0: business, real estate, office space? I mean, the city's got to be really concerned about that because the vacancy rates in the core are going up
2: for sure you know i think you know that's that's you know as a as a property taxpayer in toronto who has one of the lowest residential property tax rates uh in the country thanks to the fact that we have big towers uh paying the property paying for the services that we all enjoy here
1: which by the course a lot of people don't know that a lot of people don't
2: understand yeah that okay. but it's it's really businesses that you know it's that business real estate that pay the property taxes in toronto and and uh and yeah, so, you know, I think it's it's a big challenge, you know, it's, uh, the vacancy rates over 7% pre-pandemic, it was, uh, you know, below 1% at some point. And so, um, but that said, you know, at, you know, while you have companies like Shopify saying we're going 100% from home, they're, you know, they also just picked up another quarter million square feet in the well downtown. So, you know, Amazon just picked up another 100,000 square feet in downtown Toronto. So, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and I could work from home pre-pandemic, but, you know, quite frankly, I just want to go out to an office. I want to go back to my office and have lunch with my colleagues again and see people after, you know, spending a year in my basement. Um, and so, you know, I think you'll see a work life, you know, people are going to end up wanting a mix of both. You know, you're not going to go back to working five days a week downtown Toronto. But, you know what, I'm going to probably want to come down a few days a week and, and stick around on Friday so I can go for pints with my colleagues. And, you know, so... Commercial real estate is going to change. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we know that there'll be, you know, there'll be need for bigger floor plates. There's going to be a need for greater technology to make it safe from a contact tracing perspective. Uh, as much as we talk about the fact that, you know, uh, you know, there's a vaccine, well, we we know there's five variants of COVID going around the city right now, and if if you know a five, there's probably twenty, uh, and we know, you know, at least one of those. You know the vaccine has you know no effect on, and so you know while we're 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 all kind of getting hopeful for the fall, you know there's a reality there could be a third wave here, and you know the only way we start to get out of this is of course advancements in in, in health, uh, and vaccines, but also looking at how we change our norms and how we embrace technology to keep people safe, and uh, uh, you know so there there's there's still a bit of a trek ahead of us. We're 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 not coming out of this anytime soon.
1: Chris, I got a question. Um, If you watch every TV show, listen to any politician and others, the answer to us, uh, the plan is kill the virus. And I always say, that's not a plan. (laughs) The plan to kill the virus is great. By the way, we all want that. But guys, um, what if... In four months, all the vaccines are out and we haven't killed it. What if we kill it and it comes back? What is the long-term view and plan of our world or our – let's let's leave it to our city.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Assume we've got the virus. Assume we need to know where are we going. Like, do we have a backup plan? Because what I see every day is we're short this many um, – Vaccines. We're getting more here. We're getting more here, and it's like just kill the virus. Of of course, we want that. Yeah, but have you ever seen a plan?
2: Um, well, no. I think there's lots of plans, and I think we can. You know, there's disagreement about how you get things done, but you know, I think there's 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 a roadmap out there. You you can look at New Zealand. You can look at Australia. You can look at Taiwan. You can look at South Korea. Places that have you know done hard lockdowns and are doing you know had had big investments in contact tracing and, and, uh, and testing. And, you know, I was, I was having a beer online with a friend from New Zealand on the weekend and he was going out to a pub after our beer, you know, they're, they're back, they're back to normal. So there, there is a roadmap here. Um, you know, uh, it's, uh, in you know, uh, could things be differently here in Ontario and Canada? 100%, you know, we'll get there with the vaccine, you know, we complain about the number of people being vaccinated in Canada. We know we've bought enough vaccine for like five times our population. We're pretty lucky. We've got a supply. It's coming. Is it coming as quick as you want? No. Uh, but like, if you were in Africa right now, it's a much different story. Uh, so we we do have to kind of realize we're in a priv- privileged situation here. Uh, you know, third world countries, developing countries they're, they have big impacts from this, just like us, if not worse, uh, and, and still don't have vaccines rolling out. So, yeah, you know, I think, you know, we've got we've got good leadership could we have different decisions and listen more to the public health folks to get us through this 100% um but we're going to have to adapt the way we live regardless you know uh with different variants coming out it, it means you know we're probably going to have masks for some, you know, for years to come you know i am going to be on i'm i'm, I'm going to be wearing a mask on the ttc forever i think at this point right oh that's a given i think i honestly think that's a given let let
0: me let me ask one more question uh, so You're involved, obviously, with the city of Toronto. Have you been studying and observing other cities and how they've been reacting to the COVID crisis?
2: Yeah, you know, I I think what's really been interesting. So again, I my work at the city was very focused on the business side and economic development side, and and seeing what was going on. And and what was really interesting is actually other cities were looking to what we were doing here in Toronto. I, I think from an economic response we were actually a bit of a leader, especially in North America. Uh, You know, we had New York City and uh, San Francisco and others reaching out to us going, how did you build that Shop Here program so quickly? How did you get out there so quickly with these initiatives? Um, But, uh, and so, you know, but of course, you know, some of the challenges you face at a municipal level uh, is that, you know, you don't have all the funding per string. So we rolled out lots of interesting programs that we were sharing uh, across Canada and, and across the U.S. Um, but, you know, ultimately, some of the programs you need are rent support programs and wage support programs, which were very dependent on your, you know, federal and, and provincial governments. And, and, of course, those did come. Uh, and so, you know, I think generally... Uh, you know, the response has been a bit slower for for businesses at that kind of federal and and provincial level in the early days, but now it's finally where it needs to be. Um, that said, you know, we know we have huge vacancies on Main Street, and it's going to take some real creative thinking to look at how we rebuild our our Main Streets coming out of this.
1: Well, I think that, um, man, I think that Chris has got he's on the pulse, and I think if the cities. Uh, guys, and Alan and uh, Chris, do keep an open mind to let local technology work with them uh, for the basis of making that city successful again. It will work, but it's got to have that open-mindedness. They've seen what you can do when you do it, and that's been amazing. And I, as you guys know, I'm a Mr. Toronto as well, and I want it to be the greatest city. I'm, As you guys know, I moved a Silicon Valley company to Toronto, not the other way. So I'm really hot on what we can do here. And quite frankly, the reason, that, as Chris said, New York's calling, San Francisco's calling. You know why, guys? Because we have great people here. Uh, totally. And um, so that's how I would leave my point on it, uh, that we can do it.
2: For sure. We've got an amazing tech community that really came around to support during COVID. You know, we launched a program with Ritual to uh, do online ordering for restaurants across the city. And they and they launched that product for free for for Toronto restaurants. And that kind of tech for good is is a Toronto trademark. And uh it's something that we'll need to leverage as part of the rebuild, but it's also something we need to uh to export to other communities to take advantage of.
0: Well, thank you, Chris. This has been enlightening. Um and it's been hopeful too, because At some point, things are going to get back to normal, or something approaching it—a new normal. A new normal, Uh, and and it'll be interesting to see exactly how much of this tech for good, as you say, and some of the other social things that we have been engaged in in order to get through this together, will be maintained as we go forward.
2: Definitely,
1: yeah, and I think we all got to follow Chris, and (laughs) so I'm sure you'll get the information there. uh, But we should all have fun following Chris and and seeing what's new and exciting, what he's doing uh, in an area that usually, uh, you know, you fight bureaucracy and he's found a way to, to weave his way through that and, and get things done.
2: Hey, thanks Grant and, and thanks Alan for your time. Uh, great to uh, chat with you both today.
0: And that's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. We'll be back soon with another program featuring more smart people and their ideas for connecting us together through smart technologies. Feedback, always welcome. Send everything and anything to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. Check out our website, too, thesmartcity.blog. Not that website, thesmartcity.blog. You'll find past programs as well as learn as who and what else is coming up. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Executive Producers, Grant Furley. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. Executive Assistant, Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.